Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and along with me is... Jonathan Pritchett. And we are excited to be here today. Glad you all are here. If someone could just let us know that you can hear us and everything is working all right. We may have had a little bit of technical issues, but that is just par for the course as we're still trying to learn how to do everything. And glad to see so many of you already here and in the chat. Uh, this is going to be an interesting one. Now, a couple of things I want to say, Dr. Pritchett, before we really get started here, is that... Um, we there's a couple of interesting things that have happened here recently with Trinity Radio or are about to happen. And that is that, number one, we now have channel memberships enabled and we have had for a little while, but um, we haven't. Uh, so it sounds like you guys are saying you couldn't hear the music, but you can hear us now. That's all that matters. Um, yeah. So channel memberships here is a thing that YouTube allows you to do. And my understanding was that you had to have, initially you were supposed to have 30,000 subscribers before you were able to um, be eligible for channel memberships. You'll notice on the screen right now that down there underneath the window on the far right, it, there's a join button. And uh, that uh, somehow we got, we're eligible to do it. So I, I don't know what that means, but I know what it entails. And what it entails is basically an attempt to offer what is offered, what you can do through something like Patreon, which is a third party site that allows people to give you a monthly donation. And in return, they get special stuff. And we have a Patreon channel. It's uh, patreon.com slash Trinity radio. There we have, I won't go too long with this. I promise we're going to get into it, but um, we have multiple eBooks that I've written as well as a couple from other people free for those that are patrons. I mean, I guess it's not really free if you're donating, but you know what I mean? Um, original music from Jonathan Pritchett from his days back in the rock band. Um, we have entire five entire seminary level apologetics courses on the problem of evil, contemporary apologetics, major world religions, the philosophy of religion and the history of apologetics most recently with PowerPoints and everything. Um, so, you know, there, there's all that stuff uh, for you to play with and use and uh, a bunch of other things in there too. Uh, lost episodes that never saw the light of day are there. Um, and so all of that is available to people that are patrons. But channel memberships is YouTube's attempt to offer something like that from within uh, the YouTube uh, site, basically. Now, what we're doing is we've got, we've already got a community of people on Patreon. And so we're going to mimic what uh, Cameron Bertuzzi has done, which is to simply say there are a couple of features that are only accessible if you're a channel member on YouTube to Trinity Radio. Those are simple. And I should have had them as graphics here to show you. But basically, you can have emojis of me and um, uh, let's see, uh, of me and Pritchett with making all kinds of facial expressions that you can post if that's your if that's your thing. Um, also, uh, there is huh, the unapologetic apologist says, Brax, why do you have Freddie Mercury with you? I'm not sure if that's the most complimentary thing, but it's the most fabulous thing that's ever been said about I was you. No, I was told I look gay last week. I mean, it's every week now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and to, I think it was Deke. Uh, they feel like jello, man. He was asking about my legs because today's leg day. So thanks for that uh, super chat, the unapologetic apologist. And uh, but the only other thing mm. that you get is we could give special stuff through the channel membership thing, but th that's not really what we're you know we're just going to do that on Patreon. So all that to say, if you want to be a channel member, we think that would be super cool. 
And we're bad at that too. But we're oh, we've gotten a lot better. I mean, yeah, I mean just inconsistent. But but um but if you want to do that to get the emojis, oh, and you also get the Trinity radio logo and it turns colors the longer that you're a channel member. We'd love it if you did that, but we'd really rather just direct you to become a patron. But if you are interested in those things, I think you can do it for like $2 a month. Um, so if you just want that cool stuff, uh, show your show your solidarity with us. We definitely do appreciate that. So that's Jose, all I wanted to say about that. That's Jose's special awesome too. You're awesome for being here, man. Yeah, so, that, so that's the uh, special announcement. Now, let's get into it, Dr. Pritchett. Did you, are you aware, Dr. Pritchett, that there are sometimes Christian influencers who go through what is called a deconversion experience? Have you ever heard of this? It, no, this is like a common occurrence with these Christian musicians. It's, it's become as predictable as the little girls who star in Disney shows. And then when the show's over, they have their trashing out party. This is just like that. It's, it's now so commonplace and predictable, it's not even surprising. This is just the equivalent for Christian musicians of the Miley Cyrus types coming out and being all, I won't say the word. Well, let me say to John Steingard, uh, lead singer <laughs> of Hawk Nelson, that if he, if he would ever like to talk about these issues, I'd be, we would be happy or one of us would be happy to talk with him privately or here on the show, but if you'd like to do it privately, we could do that. I, I would love that. Um, we, we don't, cause ultimately this channel exists because we care about non-Christians. We care about atheists. And as a result of that, if there is someone like John Steingard who would like to talk to us because maybe we can, who's another one who bites the dust since we're on that theme. Yeah. There's your Freddie Mercury. Um, yeah. but, but okay. that we could talk with and maybe facilitate a coming back to Christ or coming to Christ or however you want to frame that up. We would love that. Uh, MJ Jackson giving it a super chat for dollars, $4 for each fellas. Don't spend it in one place. Thank you, MJ. Thank you. Uh, please go subscribe to his channel. So, um, all that, all that said and, and being real nice about it and, and trying to make a honestly, yeah, a, I'm going to be on a show what, coming up. We're going to be talking about apologetic method hmm. on, on his show pretty soon. We just, talked about that before we came on here so. you were just on adam coleman's show it was super long yeah it was his fault <laughs> if you make me talk i'll just keep talking that's why i just but uh but thanks mj so all right let's let's the show was awesome by the way everyone should go check out that show it was a really good show it was a really good show so what what uh steingard has done is he has uh shared his deconversion through instagram i didn't even know you could post these long things on Instagram. Maybe it was like a, a bunch of pictures of text that he took. I, I guess that's probably. So you what he just did. figured out Twitter though, and then we started the Instagram. I'm terrible at Twitter. I'm barely on it. Um, we have an Instagram page. We just never do anything with it. It's. I don't know. I, I think the people who do a lot of stuff, they have people do their stuff for them because I don't know. All right, so we like posted for three days on Instagram and then quit. Hey. I'm doing a lot of social media stuff. It's got to end somewhere. I know. All right, so let's... Does anyone uh, want to volunteer to do our social media for us? We, we I don't know if I'm ready to give up those reins, but maybe. Let's jump into this by taking a look you at... You can have it. This guy's deconversion story. I'm going to put it on the screen. We're going to go through it, Pritchett, and we'll comment as we go. Right. Obviously, some stuff might be said. Uh, Pritchett is in the room. Some snark might be shared. But John Steingard, if nice. you ever see this... Uh, understand that we love you and we want to see you come back to Christ. Yeah. So he posted this here 
He says, this is not a post I ever thought that I would write, but I now I feel like I really need to. I've agonized over whether to say this publicly and if so, how to do it. But I now feel that it's less important how I do it and more important that I do it. So here goes. After growing up in a Christian home, being a pastor's kid, playing and singing in a Christian band, and having the word Christian in front of most of the things in my life, I'm now finding that I no longer believe in God. The last few words of, the sentence, of that sentence were hard to write. I still find myself wanting to soften that statement by wording it differently or less specifically, but it wouldn't be as true. The process of getting to that uh, sentence has been several years in the making. It didn't happen overnight or all of a sudden. It's been more like pulling on the threads of a sweater and one day discovering that there was no sweater left. All right, now, I have a couple of thoughts on this, Pritchett, before you go on. Um, You know what happens on December 20th? My birthday? Yeah. That's the day you stop being able to read print that small. (laughs) I can't. I don't even... Think think biblically says, if you guys get a chance, I defend that God is not the author of evil. He allows evil because the overarching good of free will relationships with him. I'm wrestling, however, with Isaiah 45, 7. Uh, Is is that the one? I think that's the one that says God creates evil. I think we covered that that last last week, week. but we'll, we can come back to it. Maybe look it up on your phone and make sure I'm right. And we'll get to that eventually, but, oh, I should put it up on the screen, but thank you so much for that. 1499 super chat. Really, really appreciate that. Thank you so, so much. So, um, the, the, the idea that this is something that was a long time coming, this is common in quote unquote deconversion stories. And I think it's true. I think that these people did not decide this all at once and just overnight, it was just boom. Now I'm an atheist or an agnostic or whatever. Uh, and the, the thing, the thing about it is Sometimes the thing that starts one down that path, I mean, all you have to do is spend 15 minutes after we're done with this video, go check out a few atheist deconversion stories on YouTube. Uh, go to the small channels, just see what, what you know, the, the lesser known atheists, what do they say? Um, they're all going to point to evidence. There wasn't any evidence. I didn't see the evidence. That they Many of them will point to the problem of evil. Many of them will point to what's called divine hiddenness. But many of them will admit or you'll just notice it that there was something initial that began the pulling of that thread of that sweater right that began that process and it wasn't always the evidence in fact uh, many times it wasn't the evidence uh oftentimes it is the biblical teaching about human sexuality as it relates to homosexuality um people people have a real issue with that and so it begins we saw this with the ret and link deconversion story you can see it many times. Uh, there's one well-known deconversion story online. I can't remember the name of the channel, but it was because of purity culture. This, this person didn't like purity culture. And that became the thing that sparked the interest that led to later finding out, well, I don't think the evidence is what I wanted it to be. So when we're thinking about this, so, so first of all, if, if you're an atheist, that could be an issue where you, you have to compartmentalize in your rationale and say, if I were to take that particular issue that I that, that that has that doesn't directly have to do with the evidence, and I were to remove that and just look at the evidence, what how would this maybe be different? Am I allowing that to set up a bias? And we all have biases, but I'm allowing am I am I allowing that to set up a bias that prevents me from looking at the evidential arguments um, in the strongest way possible? That's an important thing. 
I think, um, to, to, to mention. Uh, but there's another part of this, and that is, I've heard this sweater thing before, Pritchett. Yeah, it's not the have, first thing I've heard have. about a string and a sweater. Yeah. I, I want to play this clip real quick. Uh, just real quick. Here we go. It's really short. There's a lot of pressure to stick it, stick around and stay in there. But what I realize is that I've been pulling on this thread for a really long time, right? Let's call it the sweater of faith, which is not the armor of God. This is, this, this, this is a <laughs> Red McLaughlin concept. The sweater of faith. I've been pulling on this thread, and it had sort of like turned into a vest, and then a midriff, and then a halter top, and now it was a string bikini. That's not appropriate. And I was like, I'm going to take the bikini off. So I'm wondering if there's like, uh, so there's a couple of possibilities here. Like talking points now for deconversions. <laughs> like like the Democrat and Republican Party will put out talking points. So if you ever watch cable news, every talking head that appears as spokesperson for whatever team you're on, they all say the same things. So you, yeah, you really shouldn't watch cable television. I'm wondering. I'm, I'm wondering what? if uh, so. Someone said they can't really hear the clip. Um, shall I turn it up and play it again? It's a short clip. Let's try it. Here it is again. There's a lot of pressure to stick it, stick around, and stay in there. But what I realize is that I've been pulling on this thread for a really long time, right? Let's call it the sweater of faith, which is not the armor of God. This is this this is this is a Red McLaughlin <laughs> concept. The sweater of faith. I've been pulling on this thread and it had sort of like turned into a vest and then a midriff and then a halter top and now it was a string bikini. That's not appropriate. And I was like I'm going to take the bikini off. Okay, so there's three possibilities I see here. One possibility is they both independently thought of the same analogy with a sweater. Um, the other possibility is that while the guy from Hawk Nelson, John Steingard, was already thinking this way, thinking along these lines, legitimately experiencing doubt and all these kind of things, which I don't doubt that he was, and then he saw Rhett and Link's deconversion story and thought, yeah, that's a really great analogy for what's happening. Or there's some third source where where all this is coming from with the sweater analogy that I'm just not aware of. Um, maybe there, I mean, I'm wondering, is there some book from some guy who had a deconversion story and the sweater thing comes from that? Because you're right, it's almost like there is there are talking points now for deconversion. I don't know. But uh, anyway. Or the uh, Weezer fans. I want to, yeah. <laughs> who knows um but but i wanted to uh I, I wanted to point that out but i wanted to more talk about the fact that these things don't normally come um all at once and it could be that there is that there's an initial thing that starts you down that path like that it may seem bigoted to be a christian in light of certain social issues or um you know the the abortion thing or or stuff in the old testament or whatever um, Miguel Benitez, one of our friends says, I think this is in part due to feelings driving our thinking. I feel like Christianity is true. I feel like the evidence shows it. I no longer feel that way the whole time it's rooted in emotion. Um, yeah, there's, there's, some, there could, there could, there definitely could be. Yeah, something I to think that. so. Even if they're claiming to talk, even with Rhett and Link and they try to talk about evidences a little bit and all that, I still think that's it. So he says, um, oh, Thank you, Ron. Ron just pledged $10 as a patron. Appreciate right. it, Ron. Um, so 
he continues, I've been terrified to be honest about this publicly for quite some time because of all that I thought I would lose. I'm still scared, but I'm writing about this now for a few reasons. Firstly, I simply can no longer avoid it. Processing this quietly left, uh, felt, see, here's where the age, I'm trying to read this really small, felt, uh, let's see, processing this quietly felt right when I simply had doubts. But once they solidified into a genuine point of view, it began to feel dishonest to talk about it. Not to talk about it. Not to talk about it. Yeah, that's the that's the thing that I was curious about. I'm not sure when that became a point of view for him or not, but I'm wondering, you know, it's it doesn't just it's not like a snap of the finger, oh, I'm an atheist now, right? I mean, that point of view you know, it builds, it develops. You're not handed a perspective until you've developed that perspective. And what I'm curious about, because I don't know anything about this band, um, but I am curious about how long he was performing as a Christian artist while he was, you know. Well, we're going to get to a little bit of that. I honestly, I should say, I have not been. You know, he mentions dishonesty. I want to bring it up. It's, it, well, we're going to get to that. Yeah. It's been really uncool. It's been really uncool for people from my generation and the next, like the, the generation older than me or whatever. Gen, well, there's, so I'm on the cusp of, of millennial and gen X, yeah. gen, whatever it is. You're a and the one right before me, um, or the, the one, awesome one, the generation <laughs> X, the, it's been really yeah. cool. It's been considered really socially cool, not to want anything to do with Christian contemporary music. Um, and I've not been that way. I've I've really liked um, certain Christian artists. It's not because it, it's not it's not a hipster thing. It's not a look. Generation X had really great music, and when contemporary Christian music is not as great as the music we had, that's where it comes from. We just have better taste. So, um. I, uh, so, but this band, I don't know anything about, I, I don't know. Anything I don't know anything about them. Just like, you don't, I don't know any of their songs. There's something about one, one but drop look, in the ocean or on, something. Yeah. This has been going on with Christian music since there has been Christian music though. I mean, even you can go into sure. classical times, but, um, I mean, your dad, for example, your dad has told me story. We swapped road stories and your dad's told me about, um, this kind of thing happening, with the uh, Southern gospel music scene. And what's worse is even in some, some instances they're, they don't come out and say that they're apostates. They just live one way off stage and then another way in church. I mean, and that resonated with what I saw when I was hanging around Christian artists. So it's, it's, this has been a thing, but yeah, I, I think now that it is more socially, advantageous not just acceptable we're past that it's all it's been acceptable as long as i've been alive but now that it's socially advantageous to dump on your christian roots right yeah yeah and um, uh, so but see here's the thing right now we've got 120 about 120 viewers 31 likes uh for us and one dislike of deconversions yeah. so um just want to let that be known so let's get back into this uh, so secondly, I have had private conversations with trusted friends about my doubts 
and discovered to my absolute shock that they are shared by nearly every close friend my age who also grew up in the church. I am stunned by the number of people in visible positions within Christian circles that feel the same way as I do, like me. They fear losing everything if they're open about it. I hope that my openness and transparency can be an encouragement to them and to you if you feel the same. No, that's a real Because I think there's more here. Thirdly, I've got, uh, I've got a whole lot to lose now. The band isn't playing shows or making new music at the moment, and we've all found other work and careers to focus on for the time being in order to make sure I'm able to keep providing for my family that had to be the case before I could be totally honest. And that, fa and that fact is one of the issues I have been with the church and Christian culture in general. Uh, that's one of the issues he has with the church and Christian culture in general. Now, uh, I think I know where you're going to go with this. Because I think we did this on our much hated by certain people Thanksgiving special from last year. What? Uh the idea of staying in a, a ministry role or, or not being totally honest about your lack of belief because of what it might cost not you financially. Like, see, I, I get that. Not just lack of belief. It goes deeper than that. Even confessing Christians who hold certain doctrinal positions that have jobs at seminaries that don't want to say that they no longer affirm this, that, or the other on the doctrinal statement. And, and you know, because they could lose finances, money, you know, unable to provide for their families and stuff. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm thankful to work at Trinity where we have a really uh, just basic orthodoxy here. Um, but I, I know people in that, I can re relate to that in the sense that not me personally, but I've known people even who within Christianity who have those certain things, whether they be pastors or seminary professors who uh, being open about what their beliefs are has real world consequences for them. So it's, it's, uh, you know, you got to give props to people like Clay Jones at Biola who just could not re up his, uh, his teaching thing there because he just moved away from their eschatology and they had to let him go because he couldn't sign it, which I, I think that's ridiculous, but, that's not my call. That's because Biola is Biola, not Trinity. But so I understand that aspect of it because we see it, even people within Christianity, within churches who don't say what they really think or believe, even as Christians, because of what might happen. So first of all, I want to say uh, thank you to... Where did it go? Caleb for uh, the Patreon pledge at patreon.com slash Trinity Radio. It's sounding today like we're like we're really passing the offering plate, but this is just coming from you guys. I really appreciate it. Um, uh, and this is quite a point. He's right about one thing, and that is in certain there are certain people whose ministry is built on a particular doctrinal position, yeah. let's say, and or their career is built on Christianity. And so changing position, I mean, like think about right now, um, John Hagee, John Hagee's much of his ministry is built around a particular understanding of eschatology for him to change his view now. And I don't doubt that he believes it, but I'm just saying if he, for him to change his view now could po potentially cost him a lot. 
And so that serves as a motivator for staying in that position. And fortunately, you're right. At Trinity, we have uh, a, a, a broad doctrinal statement that is orthodox. But even on this program, we have, you know, there, we're, you know we, we appreciate this. This just goes to support the show that we're all building together. But we have different views among each other, and we present different views than many of our um, listeners hold. And, and, and so I really do believe that I could change on a, you know, a relatively yeah. big secondary issue and y'all would, st- many of you would stick with us. So, but he's right that that is a problem. Now, taking care of your family is a serious, serious thing and an important thing. And so I get it. I, I don't, I'm not, whether it's the ideal for him not to just come right out when he decided this and be like, here it is, come what may. Um, however noble that might have been, I have to say, I get it at least. I, I yeah, see, that I part sympathize. I understand. I do sympathize with that because I've seen it even within Christianity. Um, but I, but at the same time, if you're if you're doing this kind of thing, uh, and I don't I don't know I don't keep up with Christian music much. But there's there's two different kinds. There's those that are like you too that we're a band and a, a lot of us are Christians. And then there's bands. And are still like, Christians, by the way. Yeah. At that, least professing Christians. Like I used to be in where it was not just a music thing, but it was also ministry. You did ministry as a band. And so it was not a thing to, to play churches any more than it was to play secular venues. So I don't know what kind of band this is. So, But real, if it was like a U2 type band, I don't, know that it's really that big. they were a christian they were a christian but they were okay so but that that's where i call into question a little bit of this i know it's a tough decision to make but can you still go on there and present yourself as one thing when you're really not right have integrity that's right that's the question that's why i respected clay jones so much because i mean this is that was just a to me a tertiary issue i mean the end time stuff come on who cares but he couldn't sign that doctrinal statement, so he had to walk away from a job. So uh, Eden, I'm, I'm assuming it's Eden, um, says, this is more toward Pritchett, but I all, was wondering if you could recommend any reading on the idea that you can lose and then gain back your salvation. I'd like to learn more about that. Uh, Pritchett, I will kick it to you. It's a question for you. However, I would just say the the Four Views book or whatever from Zondervan yeah, is great Yeah, that's the first on that. one I would recommend if you just wanted to get your feet wet. A very interesting, because a lot of people think about Hebrews 6, okay, and a very interesting kind of off the beaten path is David De Silva's got two art journal articles on Hebrews 6 that you can find for free on the internet. Just Google Hebrews 6 journal David De Silva, and you can get both of, there's two journals in the, um, it's I think it's in the Tyndale journal, but uh, that's a really good take on that. Um and I would recommend that the Bible Brodown podcast, I can't remember when I was on there, but they usually in the title have that they're featuring me. Um, <laughs> there was a show that we talked about this very issue and went into more detail on that stuff. So you may want to check uh, that Bible Brodown program because we walked through Hebrews 6. But I would totally get the uh, Four Views book and... The, the section that you'll be interested in the most for that issue, I think, 
is the discussion between the Reformed Arminian position and the Orthodox Arminian position because they take two different Arminian perspectives on that. Obviously, Norman Geisler, who takes the, uh, I don't know what they call it, the eternal security position, yeah. he's he's going to be eternal security, so it wouldn't apply to your question. So Let me just, um, to, to we've talked about this too, because the question probably stems from the, you know, it is impossible to renew, right, to repentance. So that that word impossible trips people up because they, they think that maybe the Bible's making some sort of metaphysical claim, like it's logically impossible that this could ever happen. Like if you if you apostatize, you can never become a Christian again. That's that's not it's just it's it's hyperbolic rhetoric. It's it's a rhetorical impossibility. Because in context it's saying these people done all this, it's not like it's likely that they'll come back, but remember also, what David Da Silva points out is that kind of language, the language for clients goes in opposite directions as language for patrons. And it's it's usually in very strict terms. So so what's it's just not a metaphysical claim. Anyway, I unpack that more on the Bible Pro Down program. Thanks to Rick Janos for the $20. Hey, Prez, MVP, proud to be a Trinity student. By the way, yes, you can be a you. student at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary at trinitysem.edu, trinitysem.edu, where you can learn from both of us. You can also learn from um, uh, uh, Leighton Flowers is his name. Yeah, Leighton Flowers yeah. and uh, Steve Gregg has some classes here, if you know who that is, and a lot of others. So um, so thank you so much. We really appreciate that. Also, I don't see him now. I think it's CBC Student Group X. X uh, is here. Uh, maybe I can find it. Um, X is here. And yeah, uh, this is also one of our um, Trinity students. And so we're proud to have you here. He says it's the best seminary in the world somewhere in here he well, said that. i say that because it is the best seminary and we had let's see another super chat from like if i change my view from premillennial dispensationalism you're not going to tell me i can't work here anymore that's right jmd i don't even have that view uh, but J i'm saying that's what J anyway. you don't no i'm like i think i'm the only person on this campus that does you're it. fired just, yeah you're fired after this podcast leave pack your desk um so jmd apologetics 101 says a mood can be a dangerous state of mind because it can crush reason under the weight of feeling. Absolutely. Robbie Zacharias. Um, Indeed. All right. Uh, let's see. And Andrew Bashan, Basham sorry, says, uh, God bless you guys. I, I heard a friend say that Jesus might not care which religion you're in as long as you follow him. Since Jesus didn't speak specifically about religions, he just said, follow me. Any thoughts? Yeah, because a lot of those other religions are mutually exclusive from Christianity, so that makes no sense. You just need to yeah. point that out. That so John fourteen is a great place to go, yeah. um, teaching on what's called the a Christian exclusivity that Jesus is the only way. The Bible teaches that He's the only way to the Father. That there's no other way to the Father but by Him. Also, we know uh, from the New Testament that he's the only. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, but the name of Jesus. Um, now, some universalists have said things like, or, or uh, I guess not universal. Yeah, have said things like um, inclusivist. Inclusivist. Yeah, have said things like, well, if they're if they're if they're worshiping, you know, it, it's still it's still by the name of Jesus, even if they don't know the name of Jesus or they're you know, worshiping in Islam as long as, you know, Jesus covers them. So it's in his name or whatever that to my mind is trying to really reach to make an accommodation that I don't think is biblically allowed for. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, so Christian exclusivism, by the way, that doesn't mean look how great we are. We found the way we're so special. What it means is we're not special. We're broken and messed up just like anyone um, because of the effects of sin in the world. Uh, but he's got the answer. That guy over there has got the answer. Jesus has got the answer. I didn't mean if that sounds disrespectful, I didn't mean that guy over there, but Jesus has the answer, not us. We're like one beggar trying to tell another beggar where to find bread. Um, all right. So let's, we got to get this thing back together, but I'm completely lost here now. Um, so there's that. Let's see. Um, and, uh, Daniel apologetics, who's got a great channel, by the way, really catchy stuff. He's trying to build it. Got to a thousand subscribers faster than anybody I've ever seen. Just amazing. Than us. Way faster than us. Where are all the other mods? I'm at work. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? You got to pick your battles, Daniel apologetics. Um, all right. So let's get back to this now, Pritchett. I think we're on page two. There's nine pages. I don't know if we're going to get through this. Uh, thirdly, I've got a whole lot. Yeah. So he said that. So, so if you're somehow, if you're someone who follows me because of Hawk Nelson and my involvement in Christian music, you are probably thinking, wait, were you lying to me this whole time? Were you just pretending to be a Christian? What about all those songs you wrote? Did you mean those? Even before the show started today, Pritchett, they were calling out the names of songs and talking about how meaningful they were. The short answer is that I was not lying. I did believe those things at the time. I may have been pulling on the threads of the sweater, but but there was still some sweater left back then. He still had the halter top or the bikini, as Red would put it. Um, so what did this sweater th thread pulling process look like then? Okay, let's get into it. And here's where we get into some of the meat of this, Pritchett. I grew up in a loving Christian home. My dad was a pastor and still is. And as far back as I can remember... Life was all about the church. It was our community. It was our family. It feels important to point out that church wasn't something we went to once a week. It was more like something we came home to as often as possible after bravely venturing out into the world, in quotes, when necessary. It wasn't a part of our life. It was our life. When you grow up in a community that holds a, a shared belief, and that shared belief is so incredibly central to everything you simply adopt it, Everyone I was close to believed in God, accepted Jesus into their hearts, prayed for signs and wonders, and participated in church, youth groups, conferences, and ministry. So I did too. I became interested in music, began playing. Now, it should be pointed out, this, this, is not, this, was, this was a pastor's son, right? This yeah. is a guy who's there all the time. I mean, it's like me. I was at church as much as I was anywhere else. I mean, that, and, and I remember as a kid and someone in an early review of Trinity Radio, like several years ago, before you even came along, Pritchett, someone made fun of us saying, oh, this podcast, all they, 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 they admitted that they didn't even know anyone who wasn't a Christian as a kid. Yeah, I didn't know anyone. I didn't know anyone that I knew wasn't a Christian, right? The people in my life, I was in a very Christian culture and it was very easy to accept this as a part of the nature of reality. Um, is that a terrible thing? <laughs> no. um, I became interested. You grew in, up in the South as a preacher's kid and you didn't know you're not a Christian. Wow. Yeah, and I was a mega church pastor's yeah. kid. I mean, I played in the great halls of this massive church. possible in the South, right? You know, that someone could be around predominantly Christians. Kid, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of town. Um, I became interested in music, began playing and singing on worship teams and started leaning, learning, leading worship. I am squinting to see it in church and youth events. I'll tell you what I'm going to do here. Y'all can't see this, but it's going to make it a heck of a lot easier. Um, let's see. 
Where did I leave off, Pritchett? Really. Youth groups, Advanced. conferences, ministries. Oh, when, when you grow up in a community that holds... Blah, blah, blah. I became interested in you. Here we go. Even when I remember being uncomfortable with certain things, praying in public always felt like some kind of weird performance art. Emotional cries such as, Holy Spirit, come fill this place, always felt clunky and awkward leaving my lips. A youth conference I attended encouraged every teen to sign a pledge that they would date Jesus for a year. Okay. Okay, that's weird. Okay, that is weird. And I was part of purity culture. I, I was in the True Love Waits deal, but I never was told to date Jesus. And that I think that would have felt weird if I was a girl, but it definitely feels weird as a guy, you know? Shut up, you're um, the bride of Christ. Get I am the bride of Christ. I am the bride of Christ, okay? I am the bride of Christ. You're gonna be but that's a theological a point. But when put in the terms of adolescent yeah, romance, it sounds, yeah. Yes, yeah. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, but yeah, praying as a performance art, that is a real thing and shouldn't be. I mean, I'm not, I'm not one of these, I, look, I used to be like when I'm with my family or with a small group of friends, is it okay to pray publicly in that sense? Yeah, of course. And I used to feel weird about it. Like there was some pressure to perform well, but you know how I got over that was I got over that by saying, Braxton, I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to Jesus. <laughs> I'm talking to God through Jesus name. Oh, you want right? to know another way um, to get over that? Oh, nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares. Nobody cares. Like I'm glad it's not me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, we had a guy at our church when I pastored, he's still a friend of mine, Drew Barrett. He's in our forum and on our Facebook group and he's like six foot five or something big guy. I mean, not intimidated by anything, but he used to sit on the front row with his wife. And if I said, Drew, would you lead us in prayer? He'd say, Nope. <laughs> so, so, uh, okay. That's it, awesome. It felt manipulative and I like that way to go, Drew. It felt manipulative and it's like they pay you to pray unsettling to me. I didn't sign it. I wouldn't have signed it either. Or if I did, it would only have been because of pressure that I'm going to be Jesus girlfriend or whatever it was. <laughs> I figured I was overthinking all these things. This was the beginning of my doubt. And I began to develop the beginning of my doubt. I began to develop the <coughs> reflex to simply push it down and soldier on. After all, everyone I knew and loved believed in God, Jesus and the Bible. So I felt like it must be true. At the age of 20, I joined Hawk Nelson and began touring with the band. It was a blast. Our music wasn't overtly Christian, but as time went as time went on, we became more outspoken about our faith in our music. Uh, not their faith in their music, but their faith <coughs> so they in started their music. off as U2, and when it was easier to get church gigs, they became more outspoken. Well, he's pretty open about this. Yeah. To be fair, I was one of the loudest voices pushing for that shift because I believed it would lead to more success in the Christian music world. When and, I became a lead folks, Trust me, I don't do show prep. I knew this was coming. I've seen this a million times. I'm from Arkansas. There's a band called Evanescence that you've probably heard of. Same deal. Yeah. Same deal. Yeah. They were they were like a garbage Christian they're, rockers in Little Rock and then They're like a Shirley Manson type thing. Right? A garbage type same, thing. Same same uh, when I became the lead singer and main songwriter in twenty twelve, this shift was fully realized. We went from singing songs like Bring Them Out to songs like Drops in the Ocean. Google the lyrics. The difference is not subtle. That's the one that before the show, people were talking about and saying that uh, that, that, that song meant something to them. Even, though this even through this shift, there were still many things about Christian culture that made me uncomfortable. In fact, the list was growing. There were things that just didn't make sense to me. 
And here we go, Pritchett. Here it comes. This is, I like this. Uh, I'm glad for him to, that he gave us but this. See, well, I'm just sad that they didn't stick stick this out because, you know, I, I've seen this thing so many times. Like, bands will, will, will start off one way and they'll try to find success doing the Christian thing. Or they start off Christian and then they find a little bit of success and they go the other way, like Evanescence or a POD was another one. Um, POD, they did a cover of Sunday or of uh, Bullet the Blue Sky. Right. But now I hear they're dropping F bombs in their albums, in recent albums now. Um, so I, you know, it's just, it's, I've seen these bands do these kind of things. Oh, we can't hack it on a, on a secular thing. So we're going to go Jesus it up a little bit. Or they start off Jesus hitting it up like POD. And, and, uh, I mean, POD on one of their earliest albums had a song called abortion is murder. You didn't see in it here, hear that one on the radio. And so like them and Evanescence, these other bands, they'll, they'll find a little bit of success as Christians. And do you know, do, do you, the you audience know, know who else had, uh, a very, a very, um, Lincoln park sounding song that was anti-abortion. Jonathan Pritchett, Jonathan Pritchett. Yeah, um, abortion is murdering babies. So we don't like that. Yep. So, uh, let's see. So, so even though this, you know even, many people that bothers when you say that, um, it is, uh, I think it's the most wicked thing that we put our seal of approval on but as a society. But these people that are, they're like, Oh, if we Jesus it up, we'll get more. Success. I'm glad that he's honest about it, but it's, I've, I've, I, these things are so predictable. That it's so cliche. You know? If I became an atheist today, um, insofar as I, and I think I, you know, I don't think I would have, a, I wouldn't have a grounding for my morality, but I think I would still just, I think I would still more or less be moral most of the time culturally, because although I do think there's some things, I don't know, but I would so, still think abortion was tantamount to so murder. So when you apostatize and it becomes uh, Unitarian radio and you're like, there's this, it was like a sweater. Right? Yeah. Is that what we're going to hear? Yeah. And it, I come up with my own analogies, man. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, even the non-existent than, atheist version of me can yeah. do better. All right. Uh, so if, if God is all loving and all powerful, why is there evil in the world? Can he not do anything about it? Does yeah, he choose, have never thought of Does that he one. choose not to? Is the evil in the world a result of his desire to give us free will? Okay, then what about famine and disease and floods? All the suffering that isn't caused by humans and our free will. Wrong. If God is loving, why does he send people to hell? You know, before this, I noticed that there were some other people who had made response videos about this. Mm -hmm. uh, about this guy. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to check out what they're saying because maybe they say something good and I can recommend their channel. One of them was this reformed guy and he was like, yeah, you know, William Lane Craig and he name checks William Lane Craig. He's like, William Lane Craig and other people, they don't have an answer to that. They're, they have an answer to moral evil, but they don't have an answer to something like this, like these, uh, what we would call natural disasters and disease and stuff. We do have answers to that. It's the same answer to that. Um, I mean, I people that have listened to this for a long time know that I, I believe that most of the theodicies or answers to the problem of suffering, why would a loving God allow these things? Most of the answers have elements of truth in them. So, for example, while I don't affirm, um, I, I don't I, I don't alone, I don't affirm only the character building theodicy. I think that 
Romans chapter five gives me, you know, that that is part of it. God allows pain and suffering or he, because he knows it builds our moral character and integrity. That is a part of the puzzle. But, and so is, so are elements of most of the others, but with free will. Yeah. Free will. And it does answer these things. However, you understand the story of the garden. Uh, the, the teaching is clear that it was the sin of man that resulted in the fallen world that we have. Yeah. Romans eight brings that out. Yeah. So, but I, I always, stop. we don't have an answer to that. Yeah. And I always stop here. Do, do you believe in climate change? You believe in, you believe in climate change. You believe that human behavior affects. Okay. Then you just conceded the whole point. Thanks. Yeah. So, um, also someone points out the free actions of other supernatural, you know, demons and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We believe in demons and stuff. We're Christians expect to hear Christian stuff from us, but, uh, yeah, I mean, but look, if that doesn't sound compelling to you, the free will answer, and, and you're someone like um, John Steingard, l- let me just let me just say what I've said many times on here. The Bible teaches that God wants us to love our neighbor as ourselves and love Him. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbors yourself. The only way you get real love is real freedom. But even if you're God, if you're going to give real freedom, then along with that comes the potentiality for evil and pain and suffering. But God has a redemptive plan. To, to redeem those evil things and bring something beautiful out of it. Now, that may not be emotionally satisfying in the midst of difficulty right now, uh, but the only reason that has any real purchase is if you don't believe that there is going to be an ultimate day of justice. Um, but if you just don't believe that and you just don't believe the story, then it's not the problem of evil you have an issue with. It's just Christianity in general for other reasons. So what's the real thing we're talking about here? Right now, yeah, perha- what's the better answer? Okay, God doesn't exist, so it's just stuff happens, and then you have to come up with why is it bad? Right, yeah, what's the, yeah, we can't call anything, yeah, right? What do you mean, evil? It's just <clears throat> particles blowing around. So, uh, let so you just don't like so, it. Listen, yeah. I don't want to leave it, you've got. I don't want to leave it at that. As I've said many times, and, and I'll, I'll link it later here. I should have already, but I have an 11-minute video on the problem of pain and suffering. I also have, if you're a patron, eight hours of lecture content on the problem of suffering. Talk about the problem of hell. Oh, talk about the good, atrocities. Good, I've listened to all eight hours. It's actually really good. Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, it's and, not as good as like eight hours of me or anything. But of course not. Good. Of course not. But it's really um, good. But you become a Trinity student and you can get all that, or you can become a patron and get uh, the older version of the problem of evil class that I still stand behind. Um, All right. So let's, let's keep trucking here. Uh, People are more or less staying with us. All right. um, So this isn't caused by him. Okay. My whole life, people always said, you have to go back to what the Bible says. That's not bad advice. That's not a bad thing. I found, however, that consulting and discussing the Bible didn't answer my questions. It only amplified them. Well, that's fine. More questions, more opportunities to have those questions answered. When I began to study quantum mechanics, it just led to more questions. What I didn't say about that was, since it just keeps multiplying my questions, I guess this isn't real. Now, I'm not trying to belittle um, or be condescending, but that is a fair point. If we're talking, we know of things like this. Abiogenesis, (laughs) quantum mechanics, uh, the weather of dark matter, all, all these kind of things are things that you, you think you understand it. And then you're like, Oh shoot. Now there's like a thousand more questions I have really complex things 
are going to have answers that you might not think are simplistic enough. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about C.S. Lewis is, is, you know, it's not simple. You know, Christianity is not simple. But that that's not a problem. That's actually to its benefit that it's not simple. Yeah. Um, why... Why does God, he says, why does God seem so peed off, pissed off, I'll say it, in most of the Old Testament, and then all of a sudden he's a loving father in the New Testament? Why does he say not to kill, but then instructs Israel to turn around and kill men, women, and children to take the promised land? Um, On that point, I actually, if you want to affirm a God of justice and love, and if you want to affirm a good God, you have to affirm a God of justice and love. You have, I think you, I think the story of the Canaanites and all that makes sense. Now I have a short video on that. This is a short videos playlist that I made, just, on this. but I made a, I made a short video on it from two weeks ago. Um, you can go check that out. Um, why, so wait a minute, let's go through these one by one. Why does God seem so pissed off in most of the old Testament? And then all of a sudden he's a loving father in the new Testament. I don't accept that premise. Yeah, I don't either. He's, he gets angry in the new Testament too. In Deuteronomy, you find out God loves his people. God is a God of love. In Acts, we find out that he's still a God of justice with the story of Ananias and Sapphira who wouldn't repent and were and died because of it. Um, this is the same God in the Old and New Testament. Now, because in the Old Testament, we get laws, we get things directed at an entire nation of people um, in the early stages of that nation, and the laws are literally you know scrolled out for us, you're going to see a lot of that sort of stuff. But in the New Testament, you see some of that too. So I just don't accept that premise. But the things that you're saying he seems ticked off about, and he is at times, um, and still is in the New Testament at times, those are things that I think if you understand God is is a God of justice too, and if you're going to be a social justice warrior, you better, I'm not saying he is, you better sure appreciate justice, right? (laughs) And the outflowing of that justice on evil. Um, for the benefit of the weak. Right, because if God's indifferent to evil, that I think that's evil itself, too. Yeah, so... To, so that, to not care. Right. So you don't like it. There's going to be things that are that are the result of justice that we don't... that are not appealing to our senses. Yeah, but because they're, they're, sometimes they affect us because we're sinners, too. And God also disciplines. My kids don't like it when I take away their electronics, but you know what? If they disobey... There's punishment. And you don't like it when I have to come in your office and take away your Legos. I mean, that's just how it works, right? Uh, makes so, me mad. <laughs> so, I mean, so, you expect me to work at work. But but a very serious Ridiculous. point, a very serious point is the things that you think are evil are are the result of justice. Um uh all right. So he's so Jose says, let's let's see, where is it? Jose asks a good question. Um, would you guys agree that people who deconvert from Christianity should be able to refute and offer better explanations for the resurrection and the arguments for God's existence? You would hope so, but the state of discipleship and education in our churches is so lacking that you can't expect it. But you know what? I'm going to say something here that, that is interesting. So, there was, I don't remember the context, but there was this moment on Facebook where this, someone was saying something about this guy left the faith and he said it was because he tried to get answers to his questions, but he couldn't find anyone in his church that answered, that could answer his questions. 
I think they were saying it was a big church. You know, you couldn't find anyone that could answer his questions. And some of the apologists were like, yeah, I mean, that's the state of apologetics today. And maybe that's right. Maybe it's that the church doesn't have enough apologetics. But Lydia McGrew came in and I thought made a really good point. She said, she said, no, I, I, I'm not sure I buy that. In a, in a big church, like a mega church, there's not one apologetics geek around there that if you're looking, you can find someone to try and answer some of your questions or at least point you to the resources. Now, that's not always the case, but that is sometimes the case. And I thought that was a fair yeah, point. Yeah, it's, but it's not, it's, it's hardly the case because there are certain times, I mean, we go to a big church. Yeah. Right. So there, no one would have that. At least it was case. before the coronavirus. I hope it yeah. still is. Uh, we go to one of those big multi campus churches, um, whatever. Um, but there are also big churches that are nothing like ours. Um, and I know that I have friends that are in the Pentecostal and charismatic communities that will, will tell you that they're big churches. You know, if they weren't there, they would have no theology geek. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and there's a lot of churches. Yeah, like so it that. could be. Maybe there's I'm being unfair. Yeah. All right. So you and Lydia McGrew. Need to settle down. Y'all need to go. I mean, well, I expect you, you shouldn't agree with that because you've been to a lot of churches where you were the one who brought up apologetics you know, in there. So, um, all right. So, in there. so, uh, let's see. Why does God seem that way? Why does he say not to kill, but then instructs Israel? Why, why does God let Job suffer horrible things just to win a bet with Satan? You know what? Job didn't get the answer he was looking for either. Suck it up. But you know, um, the, the the thing about what was the one before that? Well, I, there's a lot of great stories that come out, great lessons. No, that what come would he say Job. before Job? Why does he say not to kill, but then instructs Israel right, to turn around? Right, right. Well, he says, "Do mm -hmm. not murder." But, yeah, yeah. But you know, there's military campaigns from nations. Right, that is a relevant point. Um, why does God let Job suffer horrible things? Yeah, it's it, a sin for me to murder you, but it's not a sin for a soldier to kill an enemy soldier on the field of battle. He's just doing his duty being, well, especially if the God is the commanding officer. Right. Right. But uh, even if God's not the commanding officer, I mean, you know, I think Romans 13 gives the power of the sword to the institutions of government to do that. But, but see the thing with Job is partly to answer the very question that's being raised, I think, yeah. which is Job was unaware of what was going on behind the scenes and and he didn't have the answer that he wanted in spite of his suffering. Yeah. You as a believer may suffer and not know why, but you need to still trust that God's in control. He's got, I mean, that's the whole speech by God there that. Yeah, uh, right. That, in, the, <laughs> in the end, I mean, yeah. we're, I can't, yeah. can't even begin to explain it. So another lesson. There when he blade the mountains. Another lesson is your theologically interested friends may say, may say dumb things. And it blows my mind that theologically interested Christians who have read the book of Job still sometimes say the things that Job's comforters comforters said, right? Yeah. Even in spite of having read that. So I think that one answers itself. Um, why does he tell Abraham to kill his son, more killing again, and then basically say, just kidding? Now, hold on. You said more killing again, but then you, admit, but then you admitted that he, he said, he didn't say just kidding, but that he said just kidding, right? Um, before before we get on to that, let's let's take yeah care all of that this. killing and and here's here's a situation where no one was killed. What's up with that? Yeah, um, Solus Griffiths says Job didn't get the answer he was looking for either. Suck it up. 
could be on a t-shirt. <laughs> Keep up the great work. Yeah, not to belittle anyone's particular issue of suffering. Uh, let's see. But thank you for that super chat so much. Um, Unapologetic Apologist is back again. Job didn't get the answer. Oh, they're happy with that too. They like that. You, you pleased people with that. Um, yeah, well, I mean, the the here's the thing. We always hear about in science the there's 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 uh, always more questions, right? Mm -hmm. And that's part of the, you know, what's admirable about it. And uh, we don't they, they sometimes they say they can answer everything or will, and other times they say we don't have all the answers. And part of the, that is the pursuit of uh, blah blah blah. They make it sound all lofty, but if it's religion, well. <laughs> Religion, you either have to have all the answers or it's all garbage, right? Thank you, Axe Pear. Five I, pounds, super chat. Infinitely complex plans require infinitely complex, uh, infinitely complex mind to comprehend. Amen. So I, I, I don't, this is what I, there are other expressions of Christianity outside of the Western tradition or even here in the West. Um, some of them are okay with some mysteries. I think that's a good way to, Instead of saying we should admit, I know in theological debates, it's a it's a big thing to slag on mystery because like in the I know this is a big thing when Calvinist Arminians get to the point where they have to say mystery, the other says ah ha ha, which is stupid. There's other um, you know you well, the problem is some, when you affirm a contradiction and yeah, call it that, a mystery. Right, that's a problem, but just yeah. a mystery. Uh, there's some uh, Native American theologians. Uh, and and uh, Latino theologians who are orthodox in every possible way you, you can think of, and they're like, "Yeah, we're okay with some mystery. We don't need this all figured out. Our uh, things are mysterious. It's fine." Maverick Christian makes and a really good mature. point. While sadly the general church isn't that enthusiastic about apologetics, if one has doubts, one could seek apologetics purely in books and the internet, etc. Yes. Yeah. Did I mean did did these? I mean, do you for? I mean, I don't want to be rude, but it. We know how to, everyone knows how to Google. Everyone knows how to Google. Um, yeah, says the guy who says, don't Google God. Yes, but I, I don't want them to Google God. I don't want them to have to get their answers that way. But that is obviously why we're on YouTube, right? <laughs> I mean, even though I don't, the, the, the bigger issue should be. But I'd rather them read Core Facts or Evangelistic sure. Apologetics than sure. watch our program. Read the books and then, then watch. Yeah. Um, That's probably the worst thing you could say if you're a YouTuber, isn't it? Read a no, book instead of watching no. stuff. And then read read books. Stuff. Read books. I lost one here. Somebody, I got lost. Uh, here we go. Um, thank you, Jamie Russell. But 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 my feels. It is often not genuine. <laughs> <laughs> you got a Pritchett guy yeah. out there. All right. So let's get back to this. All right. Um, you. Thank you so much. All the super chats. Uh, so, with, okay, Abraham and Isaac. The, okay, if you take a flat reading of that and you just think the story is what it is, yes, it seems quite odd. Is there something more going on there? Well, yeah. For God, God's provi God's provision, God's pointing to a future sacrifice, and really, in the day and age, God showing that he's not like the, the other 
false gods of, of the peoples around them that causes their children to pass through the fires in child sacrifice. He, this, is, this story exemplifies that that's not what God is like. Right. It's a twist. It's a turn at the end. And by the way, we the readers are aware of that as we're reading it. We're, we're aware that Isaac doesn't end up dying there. Um, and of course, um, Abraham knew that because we find out in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, that, that, he, that, that he was aware that, that God could resurrect Isaac, yes. right? Um, if, if it were to go that far. Yeah. So um, all those things are important. And, and it's just a good story. I know people think it's a bad story. It's a good... Foreshadowing is cool. If God can do, appreciate that kind of thing. If God can do anything, can't he forgive without someone dying? I mean, my parents taught me to forgive people. Nobody died in that scenario. Um, you can forgive people, but... You can't enact justice. Right. That is a different level of forgiveness. We are commanded to forgive, but ultimately God must bring justice. Now, because he's a loving God, he brought a way that that justice can be satisfied and, and, and his love displayed through Jesus. That's the, that's the reason. That's the way. What's your answer? Well, I, th I think that, I think forgiveness also in the New Testament, I agree with, my systematic theology professor, Dr. Kevin Lewis at Biola, that forgiveness in the New Testament also presupposes repentance. Does God forgive people who don't repent? No. Right. I mean, that's obviously... So when we have to forgive 70 times 7, that's the question, do you have to forgive even if they don't repent? That's a big theological issue. I think issue. Dr. Lewis is correct and the answer is no. And I think that he gave a lot of biblically justified reasons and a lot of psychological reasons why you shouldn't feel obligated to forgive. I think you should take. I think you should take a stance of forgiveness toward that person. I think your position toward them is, should be, I'm not holding that to their charge. God can. I'm not going to hold that to their charge, uh, even if they don't repent. Is yeah, my position. Okay, I, that's not mine. Um, so all right. If you make me bad, man, you better. D this is more reason you're fired as soon as this show right. is over today. Um, yeah, because what you're asking me is that you do something crummy and tell me to get over it without apology. Yeah, no, it's not how reality works. Um, yeah, so Jamie Russell either. comes back again with God is doing the necessary fixing, right? Yep. Amen. All right, let's. Uh, so, so could God? Okay, so then you answer the question: Could God? Could God not forgive without someone dying? No, because we're sinners, and without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sins. You cannot say that this is this bad without showing how bad it is. The penalty is and death. And taking it on yourself to show it so that other people don't have to. Yeah. That's the beauty of Christianity, is that look at the cross. That's what God thinks of sin. That's what God thinks of you. You belong up there. Right. The penalty is death. So... That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying about even with us. This, why can't you just get over it? Well, what have you done for us to get over it? Nothing. So it had to be done for you. That's, right. That's the thing. Mankind put ourselves in this situation. We put ourselves in this situation, and we deserve to die as a result. So, well, I don't like that. Well, there's a lot of things that are true that you don't like. Right. But this is this is the way it is. We are deserving but of death. But why is it we send it? Hold on. We sinned against an everlasting God, and so we deserve to die for that. But guess what? This is the beauty of the incarnation. I've always said I want to write a book one day. Christianity isn't as weird as you think. And this is one of those things. 
Why did God need to become a man? Bill Maher laughing in our last episode. Right. Uh, he has a son. He, oh, this is like Bonanza. He has a son. No, the reason that it's important that God become a man is so the man could die on behalf of mankind. And so he dies on behalf of mankind. You said it. That's, yes. Thank you, MJ. That's exactly right. Yeah, don't make it, don't make it easy. <laughs> All right. Um, that's why you should watch his podcast, by the way. Yeah. So let's. The Urban Apologetics. We love MJ. We we love you, MJ. We got and big plans. The, if you didn't see the episode with him on here, you could go watch that. I love. Uh, that was a great. We one. got big plans for you, yeah. MJ. All right. I was raised to believe that the Bible was the perfect word of God. Sure, it was written by human beings, but those people were divinely inspired, and we can consider the words they wrote to be the word of God. Now, that's not. There's nothing wrong with that. That. As long as you understand, it's not like a dictation theory where God whispered exactly the phraseology and all that sort of thing. Though there is, some there are some of those things. God yes. gave Moses, yeah. you know, those and things, and there are other examples mind. of that. But, uh, but no, God used their experiences, thoughts, terminology. Yeah, there's no single mode of inspiration, but there is inspiration. And yeah, I th that statement you were raised to believe correctly. Yeah, that's right. I began to have questions and doubts about that. It seemed like there were a lot of contradictions in the Bible that didn't make sense. And then he says, I don't want to get into deep in the weeds here, so I'll leave the details for another time. Well, if you don't tell us what these supposed contradictions are, we don't know how to address them. Now, that's his business. This is an Instagram Yeah, but post. as apologi apologists, we actually, did you know that we go out there in the weeds with these people and say, let's see if we can't do something about what's troubling you with these passages. Right. We need to know what those alleged contradictions are. Yeah. And, and just ignore anything you see between Lydia McGrew and Michael Lacona and don't get into, don't get part. into that. Yeah. But, you don't have to, you don't have to get into the fights about how apologists deal with those situations. Just know that they do and they have different ways of doing it. It's I mean, fine. Here's, here's, here's the thing about it is when you, when you're looking at, I don't mean any disrespect by this. I'm just saying it flatly. Like, like you've said your things flatly. Um, but if, if you, if, if what you took away, and I don't think this can possibly be the case if you were raised in church, like you, like you described, I think you, if you were sitting here could say more than this, John, but if the response to the story of Abraham and Isaac is merely God took him up there and said, kill him. And then said, just kidding. And what's up with that? More killing. If that's the takeaway, then what you're thinking of as contradictions, I mean, we, we probably have got something to say about that too, yeah, I right? Mean, but, but I'm trying not to be too but insulting it's like you here. said earlier, though, if, you if he would have put just an ounce of thought into the story and what it was teaching Abraham at the time, and especially in that cultural context, it would all make sense. It just means you have to wear... Big boy britches when you when you read this stuff. Suffice to say, uh, when I beca began to believe that the Bible was simply a book written by people, as flawed and imperfect as I am, that was when my belief in God truly began to unravel. Now, we have a very high view of Scripture. That said, and I know that certain presuppositionalist types and others would will have a heyday with this, but we've said it before, we'll say it again. M I, I affirm a high view of the inspiration and authority of Scripture. That said, if I came, if I came to believe that the Bible, 
had substantial errors in it, would I then no longer be a theist? Would I then no longer believe God exists? Of course not. Those two things, if there, before there was scripture, there was a God, Yeah. right? I, I just don't see the logical connection there. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, I, I 100% affirm inerrancy. But if I found out inerrancy was wrong, you know, if I, I, I that doesn't undo Christianity. Inerrancy doesn't undo Christianity. Right, doesn't undo now, the resurrection. Now, I do wish either. more apologists would not only affirm inerrancy, but actually bother to defend it. That's a different ramp for me. And, and again, even but, though we affirm even, it. Yeah, but if it turned out to not be the case, if I had no reason to believe it anymore, Okay, so um, I decide, well, am I going to be Greg Boyd or Peter Inns in the way I approach that kind of thing? I don't know, but, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't get how it goes from the Bible has a couple errors in it to Jesus doesn't, didn't rise from the dead and God doesn't exist. That's a, right, I don't get there's that. There's an enormous chasm there. that Pedro says, you two make the perfect example of good cop, bad cop. Right, but sometimes I want to be the bad cop, but Braxton's always bad cop. <laughs> Susan, by the way, I didn't tell you this yet. Sorry, Susan, but tomorrow at one thirty, mm-hmm. you free? I should be. We're gonna go on Susan's channel. Sweet, sounds good. Um, and uh, she says his church probably didn't teach those things. No, you know what some churches that's what teach. I'm saying. You know what some churches saying. You know what some churches teach that's problematic. I mean, even though we have this high view of, of inspiration and inerrancy and authority of Scripture and all that, if one word in this text is wrong, it's all wrong. I've heard preachers say that. That logically does not follow. Right. That's just false. If one it's phone not up for debate. Phone wrong, the whole phone book's wrong. <laughs> right. Every, every number's wrong. <laughs> right. I, I'm not, I'm not, that's not up for debate. That's not, well, we could talk about it. No, that's I'll just right. false. And uh, Pritchett's, Pritchett's got to go. You coming back, Pritchett? Okay, um, so that that's something that we need to keep in mind. What people are taught sometimes, like I, I believe that preachers have the best interest in mind when they when they say these kinds of things. But but we need to keep all of that in mind. Um, well, Pritchett, you when you get back, boy, is this going to be good? I was asking about a verse in First Timothy that seems really oppressive of women. It indicates that women shouldn't be in church leadership shouldn't teach men, and shouldn't wear their hair in braids. To me, that seems less like the message of the loving God that most Christians believe in now, and more like the ideas that would have been present in the culture at the time, a male-dominated society where women were treated less like equals and more like property. Now, as we begin to talk about this, this is an issue about which Pritchett and I have a a relevant disagreement. And on this show, um, both both sides of that have come up. But it's what the, the difference is, is uh, the, the two different positions go by these terms. Complementarianism, which I hold to a what is called a soft complementarianism, and Pritchett holds to egalitarianism. And the complementarian position holds that men and women in church leadership. And by the way, I love women. I love women so much. I'm married to a woman. I've got two daughters. I love women. I This is one of those issues where. I don't have any skin in the game other than I want to, I want to correctly affirm what I think uh, the Bible is teaching here. I am of the persuasion that complementarian, a soft complementarianism is true. And what that means is that men and women have differing roles, 
but are equal in value in church leader in, in the church, I should say. Um, this doesn't have anything to do in my mind about what gender person can be president. This doesn't say anything in my mind about the CEO of a, of a company. This is, I'm, I'm talking about uh, this within church leadership. Now, this complex, and in fact, um, well, I'll wait till Pritchett gets back to get into that. But here's the thing. However that strikes you, the point of the complementarian position is to say separate but e- separate roles, but equal in value. They, th- these roles complement one another in some way. And so this criticism would fail anyway. Now, he may hear it and say, you're saying that, but I, I don't buy it. And then we could have a discussion. But that is the position, equal in value, but have differing roles. Now, the egalitarian position, on the other hand, the one that Dr. Pritchett affirms, would say something more like that women can serve in church leadership in any in any way, just as a man can. And of course, that's going to be a real crowd pleaser. And, uh, you know, on a day like this, it might be fair to mention that Pritchett says whatever he can say to make the crowd happy with him. He's always been considered a real Joel Osteen like that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And we oh, get, you're back. We get along fine. <laughs> yeah. I also irritate people because... You know, speaking of Joel Osteen, get in tangents. Um, you know, he doesn't bother me as much as he bothers everyone else. So, I mean, if he wasn't a pastor, he wouldn't. He'd be harmless. The problem is, he's a pastor. But so I, we'll go over this again. So here's First Timothy. He thinks it's oppressive to women that women shouldn't. First Timothy seems to indicate they shouldn't be in church leadership, shouldn't teach men, and shouldn't wear their hair in braids. That seems less like the message of the loving God that we talk about today. Most Christians believe in now and more like the ideas that would have been present in the culture at the time in a male dominated. You know, but if he would just uh, looked up Ben Witherington, Ben Witherington has two videos on this that are fantastic that unpack uh, that text. And so I want to recommend all of our viewers to go look up Ben Witherington and, uh, first timothy 2 because he does a fantastic job unpacking <clears throat> and read uh read the zondervan counterpoints book on this one too women in ministry yeah or and craig keener just absolutely shreds you don't have to try and control head. their control their thinking about it our, our audience can read it and think for themselves pritchett i understand that but look i mean here's the interesting- don't insult our audience with your commanding of what they will think when they read it they don't care what i think <laughs> They, they, they don't I if I had persuasive power, you'd be an egalitarian. So come on, uh, you know, I mean, if if but if if minds like Keener and Witherington can't convince you, Braxton, then. Uh, you know. But we're going to get into more of this here in a minute. But if you don't like something about if it doesn't conform to your preferences, like just grant for the sake of argument, a soft complementarianism like I hold. Sure. If you don't like that. If it's not appealing to your perspective, does that mean it's false? No, it means that you and my wife are right because my wife holds the same view you do and thinks I'm wrong. Right. <laughs> so, so if you're an egalitarian, you should listen to her and be a complementarian. That's right. <laughs> you're caught in a loop, man. I know. It's um, terrible. All right. So, so, uh, but I have a workaround for that. What I, is it? I am the head of my house and I delegate like 99% of everything to her. Should we get this for the house? Ha- yes. 
I think you're still caught in a circle there. But uh, all right. So what else does he say? My father-in-law asked me, I, I, I assume when he raised this issue, if I had been reading the King James version, because he felt that King James had put his own spin on a lot of things and that version couldn't be fully, fully be trusted. Uh, you have to go back to the original Greek. He said, this is something I've heard a lot over the years. I asked him, so it sounds like you believe that modern translations can't fully be trusted because they are human, flawed, and imperfect. I simply, I'm, I am simply taking that thought to its next natural conclusion that the original Greek is also human, flawed, and imperfect, and also can't fully be trusted. And if you can a phone book. Look, I mean, without getting into the weeds on textual criticism, though, I mean, just learning a little bit about translating anything will help you. Um, is the King James Bible the best translation, in my opinion? No, but it's a great one, and it's still true. Um, and the ESV or the CSB or the NASB or any of these translations, they're fine. Uh, you can, I, you know, for me, the I think... The King James onlyest types do a disservice to the King James Bible because I love the King James Bible, and and sometimes people have that attitude that it's the only one that you should use, and <clears throat> I think that not even the translators of the King James Bible would agree with that were they alive today because you know they use the best manuscripts that they had. And on the King James while we're on it, since someone asked at the top of the show, and I, I think, mean, did they placate King James? Yes, we have the book of James instead of the book of Jacob. Fine. Okay, there you go. There's the controversy. But here's the thing. Uh, someone asked earlier about Isaiah 45, 7, which says does, that, uh, about God creating evil. And as we answered on the last live stream, not moral wickedness. It's not moral wickedness. It's calamity. Calamity, and like most disaster. of your other translations translated as such. Um, There's such a semantic uh, range for Hebrew words like raws. It, it doesn't have to be like evil in the sense of moral wickedness. But this is one of those it's interesting just, things, and especially in context when it's talking about judgment, it's bringing about calamity and disaster. Christians um, believe that the Bible is an authoritative, inspired book, but we don't believe it's a magic book. Right. So what do you do when you have an authoritative, inspired, inerrant book that's not a magic book? You treat it like you treat other books in this sense. If you want to find out what it really said and what it really meant, you do your hermeneutics. Who was it being written to originally? How did they hear it? What do these terms mean? Can we get it in the original language? So it's like a flip-flopping back back and forth between, well, I'm beginning to see some evidences of natural human stuff in it. And that's that's not that doesn't go along with magic book. Well, it's not a magic book. You have to do the study in the Greek and stuff. And I I'm not I don't I don't buy these contradictions. I don't even know what they're alleged to be in this particular case. So anyway, um let's keep going. Yeah, I love it though. Sometimes when they do bring up a, a contradiction, uh, it's usually one of those. It's not even a contradiction at all, you know. Yeah. Like yeah. not even you don't even. It's not even a puzzle that that you you spend any time on. Some of them are a little bit puzzling. Some of them are just wait. That's not a contradiction. You're just reading it wrong. 
I began to ask myself, wait, he says, once I found that I didn't believe the Bible was the perfect word of God, it didn't take long to realize that I was no longer sure he was there at all. I just don't get that logically. This Bible might have a problem in it. Therefore, it's all false and then, or it's not perfect. Therefore, therefore, God doesn't exist. Right. That's a... That, what's the syllogism here? See, this is a problem I have with these deconversion stories. Because I, this all it goes. No, back I'm to, glad for this. It, no, yeah, but it, it goes back to what was said earlier about emotions and stuff. It is, it is apostasy in search of an excuse, and I think all of these things come after the doubt. But it's a doubt from, and I'm, I'm, I don't know this man, but I've seen this plenty. It's for whatever emotional reason like you talked about earlier, or whatever, what I would say, and I, I think Turek is right to call people out on this, whatever sinful reason that you want out of Christianity, you start to hunt down, okay, top 10 reasons why Christianity is bogus. And you go to, you know, 1001BibleContradictions.com and, you know, if if GodWhyEvil.com and you pick the most m mundane I mean, at least for the apologetics community, just these, you know, they're just these stere It's almost a stereotype. It's these same old tropes, you know? So I, I don't know. This to me sounds like apostasy that was in search for arguments. I'm glad, but I'm glad that yeah. the, 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 the issues that I'm not are trying to be disrespectful. It's and, just, yeah. I, and, and I'm this not is just not our first rodeo. And the more you get into this, it's like, it's these same tropes. And to me, I think there's something else that, that's actually not being said. Um, and, and the thing is, I, I don't want to sound condescending to him, but as long as these are, these simple to answer issues as are being not not now when I'm saying they're simple to answer, I don't mean that they shouldn't give us pause. The problem of evil should give us pause. But it but there are answers that I think are plausible. And if these are the things that are being brought. I'm glad because he may have a conversation with a, a, a well-informed Christian and see a turnabout with this. See, this is one of the things that I like about John Luftus. And there's very little to like about John Luftus. But at least he was open and honest. He was like, yeah, uh, something about strippers and prostitutes. And then, yeah, oh yeah, there's uh, these problems too. You know? I mean, I, I don't know if he's still talking about that, but I remember 15, 20 years ago when I first discovered John Loftus, he was like, yeah, I'll admit it. There was, you know, I, I don't remember. I think he was married at the time and it was going bad. And then he was like, uh, yeah, the strip clubs and, and stuff, you know? And then, yeah, these, these other intellectual problems. And well, I so, hope that's right now that you said it. it no, I mean, <laughs> it, it's all, you, you can go to, well, Nick, uh, Peters, when he was on, he said Theology Web is still there. And I remember reading what his one of his posts on Theology Web. All right, so let's keep trucking. And it was about that. I began to ask myself, what now? Over the past year, I've occasionally mentioned publicly my struggles with depression. This is what really kicked that off. What do you do when the rug is pulled out from under your feet, when you find yourself no longer believing the thing at the core of how you see yourself and see the world? What do I teach my own kids? That's another thing that Rhett and Link raised. If I'm honest about this, will all my Christian friends abandon me? Will they alienate me from my family? 
Will this leave me uh, with nothing? Those are the questions that led me into a very dark place for a while. Um, we're almost done here, folks. I feel like I've mostly emerged from that dark place now because I've discovered that life really does go on. Now, by the way, when you look at a testimony of someone becoming a Christian, mm-hmm. there are stages that we recognize in a good book by... Um, Oh, what's the guy? Um, what's the guy who's the evangel? He was the evangelism guy. Um, gosh, can't think of his name. Anyway, he um, he he points this out. There are stages that a person goes through, and the last one is this explanation of the joy and freedom that they've discovered in Christ. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but you see that also in deconversion testimonies. The same thing. And so here we get the, the, the joy and freedom. Um, so he says, I feel like I mostly immersed really does go on. I have trusted friends that know this about me and love me anyways. My family is showing me incredible love and support, even though I know this grieves them while I now, while I know I can no longer stand on stage and in good conscience sing songs like drops in the ocean. I no longer fear losing my place in Christian music. I know this means giving it up voluntarily. I'm ready to be transparent and open. I think that open part is key. I'm open to the idea that God is there. I'd prefer it if he was. I suspect if he is there, he is very different than what I was taught. I know my parents pray that God reveals himself to me. If he's there, I hope he does. Until then, I feel like the best thing I can do is be honest. Stepping away from belief in God has felt like a loss in some ways, but it's felt like freedom in others. Uh, Jess and I both always had this sense that we weren't doing enough of the things we were supposed to do as Christians. We didn't enjoy going to church. We didn't enjoy reading the Bible. We didn't enjoy praying. We didn't enjoy worship. It all felt like obligation. And our lack of enthusiasm about those things always made us feel like something was wrong with us. Now, I don't believe any of, uh, anything was wrong with, now I don't believe anything was wrong with us. We simply didn't believe. And we were too afraid to admit that to ourselves. So in that sense, we have a tremendous sense of relief now. I am hoping that writing this contributes to that relief. As I've processed these thoughts and feelings over the past year or so, I've, in, I've avoided writing online about matters of faith. I didn't want to pretend to believe anything I didn't believe, but I also didn't want to rock the boat. I am not sure how much of this will rock the boat. I don't know if this will surpass or surprise anyone, but it doesn't matter. What matters is that I've finally worked up the courage to tell my story, to share my deepest truths, truth, and that feels like freedom too. It's going to be 72 degrees here in San Diego today. The sun is shining. It's a beautiful day. No sweater needed. Mm-hmm. So there you get the, the declarations of relief and freedom and joy. Now, well, some of that might come from I'm, what he said. I'm not having to hide this stuff anymore. And yeah, that's going to be a relief, no matter yeah. what the issue is. But right. But I, mean, I think what he's talking about is just not having to feel obligated to do all those things he said he didn't like. Now, I some of that is understandable. Look, I've said it for many years. The worst thing, the worst thing that anyone has ever done that I've seen in a church is make the Bible boring. And not something people want to read. Yeah, that's a that's a serious. That's why I don't know how anyone comes away. The Bible is boring, right? But they do because 
that that's one of the things that I I think is a problem in evangelicalism. And I know that's a big word in a big tent and all this, but a a problem in a lot of evangelical churches and a lot of preachers is they are flat out boring. And if they bother with the Bible at all and they try to be super expositors like John MacArthur, they're even more boring. And that's a problem. And I think a part of the problem of them trying to, when they're boring, is because they're too interested in sounding pious and they are talking about the content of the Bible in the ways that the Bible talks about its own content. So, uh, you, you know, the Bible is anything but boring, but I think, sadly, too much piety and too much sanctimony and all of that has watered down our Bibles and our pulpits to where um, unless somebody's thundering a harsh judgment thing instead of talking about the weird stuff in the Bible, because there's weird stuff in the Bible, whatever. But I, th I think evangelical preachers, far too many, uh, make the Bible boring and don't get anyone interested in it. And so uh, I can see where he's coming from with that. If you have a great Bible teacher, um, I had a great Bible teacher when I was really getting interested in Scripture. Um, my dad was also a great Bible teacher, and so I was fortunate enough. But when you have good Bible teachers, when you listen to bad Bible teachers or boring Bible teachers, it can make you not want to read the Bible, right? Because it... it well, that was boring, so why am I going to go read something that uh, that bored me to tears in church? So I think I think that is a problem. But also a problem is the sense of obligation. Um, before the printing press, most Christian families didn't have their own Bibles. So I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna say that it was absolutely necessary that uh, that everyone felt obligated to read their Bibles all the time. I mean, a lot of Christians for a lot of centuries didn't do that, and they got along fine. So, but this sense of obligation, I, we can make make it a duty, um, kind of a legalism as opposed to, you know, a relational thing. Um, so I think those are things that are understandable because I've seen those in evangelicalism, that the cure to that is to make sure people know that it's relational and to make the Bible awesome when people read it. So Pedro says <clears throat> their freedom is a false freedom, a freedom that promises you that you can do whatever you want. And then it bounds you to it. It feels you it, it feels you can't live without it. I've been there. Yeah, sure. I mean, a uh, kid gets out of the house. He's been told he can't smoke cigarettes. You start smoking cigarettes. He's a slave. That <laughs> uh, There are all kinds of things. Uh, let's see. League of Pingu. That is the most wrong. See, see that's that's because uh, that's comes from. Your, I already know what you're. I'm trying yeah, to find it. Th yeah, about the boring. Yeah, the genealogies and uh, Leviticus and Numbers are awesome. I can't find you it. You have a talking donkey in Numbers. What do you mean it's not? And Leviticus, don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. That's weird. Is it boring? See, this is the problem so. when you have boring Bible teachers. You're programmed to think that Leviticus and Numbers and genealogies are boring. I guarantee you, this is a question we I asked on the Trinity uh, Radio Primetime. You made that name too long. Trinity Radio Primetime discussion thing. I asked, if you were a pastor, and I, I, I'm not a pastor, okay, but if I, was, I had been one, and I said, if I was a pastor, and if you were a pastor— could you 
do an expository series on First Chronicles and nail it. And you're talking about nine chapters of name after name after name after name. And I could rock that sermon series like nobody's business. I have no doubt. So don't think for a second that genealogies um, have to be boring or that the book of Numbers has to be boring or that Leviticus has to be boring because, trust me, it's not. All right. Um, if you have the right teacher. Tyler Hood says, 1 John 2.19, also Romans 1.18-22. Thoughts? Okay, so 1 John 2.19, they went out from us because they were not of us. If they were of us, they wouldn't have gone out from us. Um, so, obviously, that is a favorite of people that affirm eternal security because it seems to teach that when people go out from you, they were not of you, right? Like it says, so they weren't ever really saved, right? That they went out because they never really were saved. If they had been saved, they wouldn't have really gone out. So they were just there. They may have thought they were buying into it or whatever, but they never really got saved to begin with. The, uh, the, the, the conditional security position would say that that passage is probably, what that's saying there is probably true of a lot of people that they never really were saved. They never really one of it, were one of us. And so they went out. But you can't then say that that statement about what was going on in that church in the New Testament is applicable to all believer, all people who walk away from the church in yeah. general. Everyone who's ever fallen from grace or everyone who's ever... Same with from depart from me. See, that's the thing with my view. My view is not... My view is just... Um, Depart from me. I never, I never knew you. You were never of us. Is that could explain it? Or um, they fell from grace. Uh, uh, they shipwrecked their faith. Those are all possibilities. I don't say when someone apostatizes, this guy was never really a Christian to begin with. He may never have been. I don't know. Well, now hold up. I, I but I think well, you, you can. Ha say, you have to. No, say but that. I think you can say. You I, have to. You I, eternal security Southern Baptist types have to say. I it. think we on your view, you you would still say about they went out from us because they were not of us and depart from me. I never knew you that that's as possible that well, but that that's true of those people. Yeah, it's true of those, but people. that's not true. Well, of I'm everyone. Talk, I'm talking about this. It same. sounded like you were saying one way of understanding depart from me. I never knew you. Yeah. No, was that I did know you. Then I didn't know you. Then I knew you again. Then I no, didn't no, know no, you. No, 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 no. Uh, okay. but I'm talking about with this guy that we're talking about today. See, as a Southern Baptist, um, you have to say he was never really a Christian to begin with. Right, he never had faith to shipwreck. He never had, was given grace to fall from. That has to be your position. Where my position is, yeah, that that's one possibility. Another possibility is um, they were, and now they're not. Um, Romans one eighteen through twenty two is so. Th this is the deal about uh, they suppressed the truth, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Um, yeah. It, so, and it also contains the. Um, the uh, statement about, you know, Paul's teleological argument. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, I, I, I think that, yeah, that what this is to my, under, the way I, he actually has this, a whole chapter uh, in a forthcoming book that we'll announce at some point written on that, that will just give on you that. All of his yeah. Just, just on, on that, that section of text. Yeah. Uh, that, that, but um, I'll do it now here, but simply, Okay. Um, first of all, it's not talking about atheists, it's talking about idolaters. However, it's applicable to atheism just the same because the, 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 the idea is they don't believe because they're suppressing the truth, right? 
So when so the people will often say, is there anyone who's really an atheist? Really? Because the Bible teaches, if you believe the Bible, that they that they know the truth, but they're suppressing it. Well, to 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 disbelieve to uh, we're good at lying to ourselves as individuals. Now, hold on. Don't get upset. Atheists. We're good at self-deception. But to to willfully disbelieve is still to genuinely disbelieve. It has to do with how you got there, not what's your state right now. You may have come to a point of disbelief because you rejected the truth, but that doesn't mean you're being disingenuous now to say that you disbelieve. Um, and so, so I think that's important. Now, are you saying then, Braxton, that atheists at one point rejected the truth? Yes, I'm saying that. Does that mean that they like that this was this big obvious thing for them? Here's the thing. We live in a culture that rubs off on us. And when you live in a culture that is speaking against the truth in a lot of ways, it becomes easy to fall in line with that and to foster those doubts. But yeah, I think, you know, atheists that are hearing the gospel message and rejecting the gospel message are doing are doing that, have done that. Now, the reason they don't the reason that uh, the Bible is saying there in uh, Paul is saying there in Romans one twenty is that they um, they the, the the what is it the the things of God what it, I always I always quote it the invisible things of God as eternal attributes of power and divine nature are clearly seen through what has been made so that they have no excuse. Um, the reason they don't have an excuse is because the evidence of creation, the evidence of a designer, the evidence of the physical universe should be enough, Paul thinks, to conclude that that God exists, right? Now, with Christianity specifically, we could go further, but the, what he hints at there, I think, is very specifically important to theism. So um, the point is, I don't think that atheists are being disingenuous. To suppress the truth doesn't mean that you're that you have suppressed the truth. And that you willfully came to a point of disbelief doesn't mean that you're currently lying about it, right? We're we're good at convincing ourselves against things, right? That's one that'll tick everybody off. Do you concur? I agree with you. I don't. I don't. I mean, you didn't want to follow me on this on this journey. No, it's it's. They're so self-deceived that they don't even know the truth anymore. They've suppressed it so well. That's that's the ugly reality of sin and the 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 level of depravity of the human heart so where did it go ah unbelievable unbelievable mark mcculley a hundred a hundred dollars first corinthians 15 14 states if jesus did not rise from the dead our faith is in vain why must jesus rise from the dead he said it is finished when he died. Coming back to life is powerful evidence that he is God, but it doesn't seem necessary to pay for our sins. Right, but dying does seem necessary to pay for our sins, and the resurrection is to demonstrate not only that he is God, but the power of death has been defeated. Yeah, so death as is the enemy, it's the final enemy, and and so uh, death you know, oh, death, where is your sting? You know, it's 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 a statement that the the number one enemy of all of us is death and that death has seen its defeat. That's that's what it's saying. That's why we 
because of Jesus's resurrection, we can bank on ours at the end of time. Right. I mean, so as we said a, earlier in the yeah, show, atonement, atonement, and the, you know, the crucifixion is a big deal. But a lot of people overemphasize the atonement to, at the expense of the resurrection. Because Paul writes in Romans 5, how much more will we be saved, not by his death, but by his life, right? So remember, uh, sin, God condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus at the cross. But the resurrection is about life. And what is, what is Jesus offering he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, right? So that's why the resurrection is important. Yeah, the, 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 we all stand condemned to die if, if because Jesus, of what happened. Right, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then he was just another fella who died on that cross. But the resurrection vindicates that that death is the death. That means that we will not be have our faith in vain and still be dead in our sins sounds good yeah all right um for the sake of time we'll just move on but thank you so much what a generous super chat that we absolutely don't deserve but thank you um and thank you rick janos for that further super chat all right so we've kind of come down to the end of this thing um i want to say something yeah, Pedro. Yeah, uh, yeah. Pedro is quoting C.S. Lewis. I believe in Christianity because I believe, or as I believe, that the sun is risen. Not because I see it, but by it I see everything else. Yeah, I um, love that quote. That guy. He had a few good quotes, didn't Man. he? Man, he had a few. You have a few too. Um, but I have some news. So there's some great interesting news quotes here. in this book that Braxton published called blinding lights it's actually available for a short time before he tries to get it shut down not again. because so, i allowed it to be but I, look that that book is like his old sermons that you also get to hear if you're a patron i contact old sermons you're gonna think wow those sermons are awesome you're gonna think man that's back when he had a fire in his belly and that's when he really, really loved Jesus. Not like now where he just really loved Jesus. Oh, there was man. two reallys back then because you could hear. I love him and could, I want you to know him. You you could hear that fire in the belly in his old old school <sighs> preaching. And Blind, Blinding Lights was that old school Braxton, that, that leather-lunged, loud-mouth. Red-faced. Red-faced preacher <laughs> and, in book form. That's why it's one of my favorite. It's like, what, now my third favorite of your books. But. Okay, listen. Awesome. I didn't allow blinding lights to be the publisher did that. And the next step is, I guess I have to send, have my lawyer send them a letter or something that I don't want that available anymore. Um, but it is true right now. It's available. And it's, a, but, it is, <laughs> it is an awesome book. It okay. Okay. So okay. Awesome. Okay. So I have something I want to say here. So I'm not going to tell you the reasons why he doesn't want it out there, but his reasons are dumb and he should leave it out there. It's awesome book. Can I say something now? No, because you talked through the most of the program because you were reading. But that counts. That doesn't count. That counts. <laughs> Go ahead. You may um, speak now. Oh, somebody asks a good summative statement. Is the takeaway that he didn't investigate his faith properly? That's one good takeaway. That is a solid takeaway. Yeah, and I should say as, as we get, I'm going to make this announcement first. 
So I had a conversation privately with Tom Jump recently. Some of you know he runs the Atheist channel T-Jump on YouTube. And I had a conversation with him. I made a video about him, um, I guess a month and a half ago, something like two months ago. And it's gotten a lot of views. Uh, but he, we, we communicated and his concern was that not that I necessarily said anything. Now he disagrees with me, obviously thinks I'm wrong, but not that I necessarily like misrepresented him, but some things that the way I said some things he wanted to, he, he felt like I should, I should make clear his, make clearer his position and methodology. Because he does it when you play his clips. So tomorrow, what I'm going to do... So when you actually let him speak and say his things, he doesn't make... Be nice. Be nice. We had a pleasant conversation. I understand. We had a private phone conversation. We even argued about that some That you're things. making public now. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to... I'm going to uh, post a video tomorrow, and I'm going to make those... I'm going to clarify... Uh, my thoughts after hearing him on that. Yeah. So you'll want to be there for that. So it's like these remember when you were in high school and the, and you were dating someone and they said, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. That's, that's what this is. Or maybe to be more fair, things I said and then other things I didn't say that, but I could have said, um, even though you let him say his piece in the video, right? I mean, I play clips of him, right? But, those weren't clear because you you responded to what he said. Well, we'll we'll just see. Okay. Let let people decide. All right, so um so that's going to come tomorrow. So y'all want to be here for that. And uh, lastly, my message would be, and I do appreciate the seventy two likes for us and the four dislikes for conversion. Those dislikes are for me, man. I, I those are badges of honor. If they don't like us, fine. What time? Uh, I don't know. It'll probably be a premiere. Let's say. I'll probably try to post it about 10 o'clock a.m. Central Standard Time. So so shoot for that. Um, thank you, uh, Slam RN. Thank you, Daniel Apologetics, for helping me out in the chat today. And uh, anyone else who was a mod who helped out. Now, in closing, John Steingard. <laughs> I can't get a word out, man. <coughs> Love Isaiah Braxton, man. He cracks me up. Yeah, Pritchett says he's in high school and don't have a girlfriend. What did that? Where did that come from? What did that spring from? You don't listen to me when I talk, but it's say it again. Say it again. About remember in high school when you were dating that that person who said it's not what you said. It's how yeah, you yeah, 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 yeah. I do remember that. No, it's that audio playback thing that you, you get on the me for. Maybe. Yeah. Can I say something now to close this out? No. John Steingard. If you see this, we do love you. We care about you. Um, and listen, talk with us privately. If you have no one else to talk to about, and I think you do, and I don't, that, that sounds like you don't have any friends. I know you've got friends. I know you've got Christian friends. I'm glad that they are being loving towards you. But I'd like to talk to you publicly or privately. Emphasis on privately. We can just talk privately. I'd love to talk to you. Uh, and anyone, anyone else who is considering deconversion, strongly communicate with us. We, we would love to talk with you about that. And... Um, and yeah, we, we, we think that there are relevant answers to the issues that you have raised. We think that we don't think there's any good reasons to walk away from the faith, nope. but we definitely don't think those are good reasons. Nope. The problem of evil, an understandable reason why many people do, but not an acceptable one. And we'd love to talk to you about that further. And to the rest of you, man, I have enjoyed this. 
This has been a fun one. It's been a long episode, but you know, these casual ones with me and you just riffing on an issue. That's what Trinity radio is all about, right? Yeah. And it's been about that for a long time. So if you are just hopping on board, you should feel like it's okay to go look at all of our old episodes. They're actually a, a lot of fun. So if you ever get bored and you need something to binge, binge our old episodes. To all of you in the chat, thank you so much. Thank you so, 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 so much. If you would like to become one of our patrons, we sure would appreciate it. You can do that at patreon.com slash trinityradio. Um, that means a lot. Hey, here's something you all can do that doesn't cost you a dime to help us out. Is go over to iTunes. There's a podcast version of this. It usually comes out a couple days after this one, the video. And you can go over there and leave us, like, actually write something. Like, I appreciate it if you just give us a five-star review or something. But if you if you just if you'll go over there and actually type something about that you like about the show, that really helps us. Uh, there's a whole other crowd that's at least as big as the YouTube crowd that gets us through audio, and that really, really, really helps us. Slam RN, thank you so much for that, man. You work. You put in a lot of work. You don't have to do this, but I really appreciate the super chat. Thank um, you, brother. That, that means, that's a sister, but that means a lot. <laughs> that means a lot. Hey, listen. Wow, my bad. This has been a blast. Love every one of you, and we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio. What do you think? No. I don't think so. You guys still here? Happy Memorial Day, by the way. Happy Memorial Memorial Day. Thank God for all the people that bled, died, suffered, or put themselves in a position where they could have so that we can have these freedoms. Amen. Uh, love you too, man. The unapologetic apologist. We love you. Check us out tomorrow on Susan Morales podcast, a YouTube channel. Yep. Oh, and uh, you could also share this video when it's available. Yeah, That's share another, it. Share another, stuff. Another way that you could get uh, help us without paying us any money. <laughs>